0: My name is Lottie, and I'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures Father, thank you for your word you have sent us to learn about you and to follow you. Please open our hearts and minds today as we listen to Pastor Joel's teachings and help us to learn and grow towards you. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you so much, Lottie. In the world of uh, computer software, uh, there's a few different ways that uh, people or companies will approach the development of their, their code, uh, how the software works on your phone or on your tablet or on your laptop. And uh, so one approach is like a proprietary approach, I keep everything secret. Uh, uh, Keep it kind of in this locked box where people don't have free access to uh, check it out. So if you have a device that is named after a company that's a fruit then that's the proprietary approach, right? Keep it all locked up, uh, really monitor the access. And the thought is this helps the company to kind of keep secret all of the nice benefits that it brings to you, and that it gives it a measure of security. If people don't understand exactly how the code works, uh, then it's a bit harder for them to understand the vulnerabilities uh, or the way to hack into a system. So that is one approach, the proprietary approach. But there is another approach, maybe lesser known. Uh, It's called open source. And with this open source approach, it's almost like the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to privacy. It's basically, let's post the code for what we're using and how it works. Let's make it available as widely as possible with the belief that that does a couple of things. It gives people the freedom to adapt it and layer it and use it in a variety of creative ways, but that it also increases security. Because if you have lots of people looking at the code, then they can point out like, oh, you've got a gaping hole there. You probably should fix that. And then you can go and try to fix it and then republish it and update it so people can see like, oh, that is how this works. Well, here at Mosaic, the way in which our Christian community works, if you had to look at those two as options, is it proprietary or is it open source? Our hope is that not only is the Christian faith open source, on display, for everyone to see, even if people are coming and looking for vulnerabilities or they're skeptical, that's fine. It is open and available for people to check out. But more than that, here at Mosaic, as we work out that open source Christian faith in Montgomery County, we put our core values on display to invite people to think through, to understand, to evaluate how we are creatively working out the good news of Jesus's death and resurrection right here and right now in Silver Spring and Wheaton and North Bethesda and beyond. How is it that in a global city where we come into contact with people who speak different languages, who arrive here from different backgrounds, who find themselves at different education and economic levels, who are just navigating the realities of life, how is it that the news of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, comes to bear on their everyday Lives. Here at Mosaic, we believe that it does, and that it does in a way that profoundly shapes our lives. And so, in an open source way, we think through our values of people and place, and this week, Christ, and how those things have an impact, what they do to shape us. And this morning, we are going to look at that uh, in two points together. They're up here, foundational event and faithful expression this uh, letter of first Corinthians you may not be all that familiar but I can explain the first century leader Paul who was an apostle or leader in the church is uh, in in the church across the known world in the first century is writing a letter he has been in conversation with a church in the city of Corinth and he's received news from say what's going on in Chloe's household and uh, people have been sending him letters and updates either from uh, people who have traveled from Corinth or the church there actually wrote him a letter. And in 1 Corinthians, we're getting Paul's response to them. He is writing back to them to say, hey, let me touch on some of the things that you've raised. And in doing so, he unpacks just what it is that drives his work and preaching as an apostle. And so as we open chapter 15 up, Paul is arriving at a point where he's, in a sense, doing uh, doing two things. He's doing some reflection on what it looks like for him to be a leader in the Christian church. And so he's saying, hey, this is what's of first importance to me. This is foundational stuff. But then he's also writing in such a way that connects with the whole community. It's common, I think, in America, and particularly in American evangelicalism, for people to read their Bibles individually. Um, We have enough Bibles for everyone to have one. We have Bibles translated into multiple languages, which is fantastic. And then people can go and look for themselves. That is a great thing. But one of the reasons why we read Scripture every week, and it's woven into things like our confession or assurance, our invitation to worship, and we spend time to read even larger portions of Scripture, is because in the first century, they were open source with their stuff. So when Paul would send this letter, he wouldn't just hand it to a leader of the church. They would unroll it on Sundays, and they would read it for the whole church to hear. Everyone would take it in at the same time. And so it's in that context that Paul writes, and in verse 1 he says, I would remind you. And here I know it says brothers, I want you to understand that is brothers and sisters, or sisters and brothers. It's family. That is the Greek word that meant more generally, hey, family. This is why I'm writing to remind you. The gospel I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And so he is unpacking for them what just what it is that drives his message. And in verse 3, he writes and says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And they'd appear to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he goes on to list a number of varying appearances. So Paul is writing and he's saying, listen, when it comes to Christianity, it is more than just a set of stories that you can do riffs off of or uh, make books and movies about. Christianity is more than just that. And it is more than just a set of guidelines or pieces of advice for how you can live the good life. It is more than that. For Paul, when he writes to this church in Corinth, he's saying all of this is based on the reality, the real events of the person, Jesus. The one from Nazareth, the one we call Lord, the Christ, the chosen one. The one who has arrived and who was crucified, died, buried, and raised from the dead. This functions as the foundation of just what the church is and what it's doing. That's true for us corporately, and it's true individually. This is the gospel Paul says that we have received, in which we stand, and by which we are being saved. Uh, Foundations are important Uh, In uh, Texas, when we lived there, foundations uh, for houses uh, were pretty key because the way that uh, the soil worked there, uh, it was hard if you poured this foundation to get it to stay in good shape because there were all sorts of pressure. Texas, if you don't know this, is dry and it's hot. Uh, I mean, there are a few places in Texas that are really humid, but where we lived, it was dry and hot like 10 months out of the year. There was no such thing as winter in Texas. It was hot and dry, and then it was uh, wet and slightly less hot, and then it went back to being hot and dry. And and what that does is it creates this pressure on concrete that you would pour as foundations for houses that it had a really hard time. At first, when you would pour a foundation, it looked great. It would hold up really well you'd have no problem but over time the pressure on that concrete the weather the soil the forces around would put pressure on it and it would start to crack and a cracked foundation that's damaged begins to create all sorts of problems for everything else that's built upon it and so foundation business in texas is serious business and it's important business it's Part of why, when it comes to our spiritual foundation, what we build upon matters. Because oftentimes, when we reflect on our own lives, we can say, um, we can say what our spiritual life is founded upon, "You know, uh, "I just want to be a good person." Or, or you know, "I just want to uh, go along and get along." Or, you know, I just want to reflect on and meditate on deeper things. And when you first hear these things, there's nothing seemingly wrong with them. They sound great. But the reality of life for all of us has a way of bringing spiritual pressures to bear And what our foundation is made up of and how it is poured and how well it resists those pressures will have critical importance for our spiritual growth and health and vitality down the road. For Paul, this is why it's so important to take Christians back to the reality of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because for Paul, this is the only foundation that is suitable to build a vibrant spiritual life upon. Because this is how God is working in the world. And so for Paul, it's not that he wants to be mean, and it's not that he wants to go after people. He's writing this letter as a pastor. He's trying to say, I'm concerned for you. And so if your spiritual foundation is just some uh, personal philosophy or some personal set of preferences, that may sound just fine for a season. But for Paul, he's thinking through how is that going to stand up to the realities of loneliness or suffering or loss or trauma or any of the pressures that our lives face if we live long enough. And depending on our context, face it more in some places than in others. And so he writes to say, listen, our spiritual foundation matters. So this is why I preach Jesus and Jesus resurrected. It is the foundation upon which all of our Christian life is built. It's how we grow up in our faith. And so at Mosaic, when we think about our core values, that reality shapes how we do church. So in some sense, when you come to Mosaic, the preaching here that you hear... Uh, and that you digest over time should always be rooted on the foundation of the work of Jesus. And so while you may hear occasionally uh, some entertaining or humorous or insightful illustrations, and you may get some practical takeaways, some applications as you go, if those are the only things that you get, stories that you remember and some life advice, it's not enough to bear up the weight of real spiritual growth and vitality. is just not enough. And so at Mosaic, part of how we as a staff evaluate and part of how the session thinks about preaching is that it is rooted and founded upon the reality of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection— It means, if truth be told, each week you're going to know at least a little bit of where the direction of a sermon is going to go. And it's not, it's not because uh, we just want to hit you with repetition. The reality is, it's all we have as Christians. And it can become dangerous for us because uh, we can think, oh, well, we just know that so well. Let's move on. What's 201? What's 301? What's 401? And to that, we need to hear Paul's instruction in 1 Corinthians 15. You never move beyond the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. And it drives our teaching. It drives our mercy ministry. Why would we show love and compassion to others, particularly others who can't network us into our next promotion or who can't give back. It's not an investment where we're looking for a tenfold return. Mosaic is not made up of spiritual venture capitalists looking how we mobilize our resources so that we can see some stuff back. Mercy doesn't work that way for Christians. Why Because our foundation is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the one who came to those who weren't his own, who didn't receive him, who had nothing to give back, and he gave himself for us. The one who uh, took on humanity, humbling himself to the point of death so that you and I could live, friends, we did not Earn Jesus' death and resurrection. We did not deserve Jesus' death and resurrection. We can't pay back Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we look to him and say, oh, so that is how we're supposed to love others. That's what sustains us when it gets hard, loving difficult people. It's not a sense of guilt. It's not a sense of shame. It's a coming back again and again to the reality of Jesus. Well, Paul gives this uh, foundational event and encourages a faithful expression. And you see that in verses uh, 6 down through 11. Paul is sharing how Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, showed up in people's lives and it began to change them. And Paul gives some autobiography in verses 8 through 11. He talks about how he went from persecuting the church... To becoming a leader of the church. How he went from chasing and pursuing and trying to squelch people's Christian faith to moving from city to city and synagogue to marketplace to proclaim the realities of Christ's resurrection. And so he is giving this sense of faithful expression, what it means Uh, to not only hear this news, but then work it out in our lives. God's grace changes us. The reality of Christ's resurrection, once we come into contact, uh, it reshapes how we think of our own value, how we live life, where we draw energy from. And this is part of the value of us coming back together week in and week out to sing and to pray and to hear again of Christ's resurrection. Because the world that we live in is hard, and we can easily get distracted from how we should view what's going on in the world or how we view ourselves. That can lead us to different places. It can lead us to dark places where we may wrestle with depression and struggle and think, what is my worth? Do I have value? If you wrestle with those questions, I want you to hear this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't take those questions away entirely. It's designed to give you a God-given answer in the face of the question of your value. Christ, through his death and resurrection, is declaring, announcing, making it known that when you turn to him in faith, all that is his becomes yours. You become an heir. You become a daughter. You become a son. You are adopted in. And so when you're distracted or struggling or moving away to the darker questions that often people face in life, God's grace meets you there and reminds you of the truth of Christ's resurrection. You may go the other way. You may be doing well. A life may be going reasonably good for you in a surprising way. You may be incredibly gifted and successful Here at Mosaic, we have some incredibly gifted and successful people. But a temptation when you become incredibly successful is that you begin to think how great you are, (laughs) and you move the opposite direction. You think, I'm the one who shows my value. Look, I've shown it in X, Y, and Z ways. And to you, (laughs) Paul calls you back and says, whoa, hey, don't get too far down the line of your own hype train. Your value comes from the same place, from the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. So that faithful expression, the way of uh, speaking to those who are hurting and calling back, those who are doing well and may think too highly of themselves, that faithful expression is what plays out week in and week out at Mosaic. I was asked a few weeks ago by one of the members of the church, what is the style of Mosaic? Like, what is the style of our worship? And one of the ways in which we were unpacking that and talking about it is that this faithful expression of the reality of Christ's resurrection means that we can sing joyfully together in the opening of the worship. Uh, We sung the song, You Are Good, and all of the words are printed for you on page two in your worship guide. And I'm not going to read the words for you, but I just want to highlight the confidence that we have to sing You Are Good all the time and All the Time You Are Good the confidence that we have to sing that comes not from our individual circumstances or not even from what our life and our community comes from. The confidence to sing something like that and sing it joyfully for Christians is rooted in Christ's resurrection. That phrase that uh, God is good all the time and all the time he is good I came into contact with that phrase from the black church. The history of the black church, where the outward circumstances that people were struggling with, from slavery to Jim Crow to modern day systemic racism, was just the reality of life. If the circumstances dictated the worship, it would be a somber place. But because when black Christians gather together, There is a time to reflect upon and look to their reality. In the resurrected Jesus, they can sing and praise with joyful hope. And it is a tension that is lived with. It's a tension that's lived with Christians who are in persecuted countries where they're not free uh, to go and worship Their day-to-day life uh, comes with it a ceiling for the mere fact that they're Christians. They can't elevate to certain statuses in society. Well then, how could they be joyful about life? Answer, Christ's resurrection. And the same is true for us. Even though in some ways our circumstances may be better here and now in Montgomery County in the 21st century than other Christians in the world, uh, present day and throughout history, the hope that we have, the joy that we draw in worship comes from the same exact place, our faithful expression of Christ's resurrection. And so this is why it's a little weird for Christians to say Christ is a core value. I I recognize that. It's the one that I've struggled with the most. Like, of course it is. But Christian churches throughout history have not always remembered the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. And so we included it in to say, what does it look like for us here in the 21st century in Montgomery County to worship joyfully because of Christ's resurrection, to preach his resurrection week in and week out, to see how his resurrection impacts our lives, not only on Sunday mornings, but in our schools and in our workplaces and in our homes. Because if Christ was raised from the dead, then it does. Its faithful expression plays out to every inch of our lives. And so when we sing that God is good, when we preach the reality of a resurrected Christ, it doesn't erase all questions or doubts. It doesn't immediately adapt or change all of your difficult circumstances, but it elevates our gaze to the reality of our foundation on our resurrected Jesus, on God's interaction with our world. It brings us back, just as Paul mentions in his own autobiography, as he struggled with his own persecution of the church to the grace of God, in the midst of our arrogance, or in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our promotions, in the midst of our suffering. God's grace is there for you and for me because of Christ and his death and resurrection. Let me pray. God, I ask that as a church community here at Mosaic, that we will never forget that. Um, I pray that as we think through our lives, both individually and corporately, The resurrection of Jesus would for us not only be our foundation that we're building upon, whether we're at level one or whether we're at a level 101 in our spiritual maturity, that we will never move beyond the foundation of you, Jesus. Either individually or as a church, we pray. Amen.